0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Haggai chapter 1 verses 5 to 11. Uh, Some of you may have heard uh, this account before, but I think it's really important uh, for us to get this. Uh, Horace Gray was a justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. During one of his cases, a criminal was about to be released, not because he was innocent, but because of a technicality. As Gray prepared to release the man, he said this to the man, I know that you are guilty and you know it. And I want you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there, and there, you will be dealt with according to justice, and not according to law. Whew, Judgment. See, that's that's one of the things that I think that we're failing to remember in our culture today, that there is a God. He is in heaven. He is all powerful. He's everywhere. And he's a God of justice, God of love, but he is also a God of justice. One of the things that's super troubling in modern evangelicalism today, as we look at polls and things that have been coming out recently, is a continued misunderstanding concerning this topic called the judgment of God. It's just amazing. How many people in this world profess to be Christians yet don't believe that God will judge us one day? More and more it's happening. And as, this, as these polls have been going throughout the years, I'm starting to see this percentage climb more and more. Specifically, it, the justice of God, but more generally, why this is frightening is we're having this issue when it comes more generally to the character of God. We're losing this. You, know, you look at Christianity and how Christians in modern evangelicalism are responding to questions like the judgment of God, the love of God, what God will and won't do, all of these types of things. More and more, it's starting to get more and more convoluted and confusing. Like R.C. Sproul used to say, we have given the world the idea that God is more like Mr. Rogers than the God of the Bible. people think that God's up there and God's just like Mr. Rogers, changing his shoes, taking off his, his suit coat and putting on cardigans and sweaters and, and just there up there humming and singing and all that stuff and not thinking that God is the God of the Bible. And when, we hear, when I hear things like this, as I always ask, and I ask everyone today that, that gives me some of these types of things, and I'll say this again today, What Bible are you reading? Family, I have many conversations with Christians today concerning what God is like. And I have these conversations all the time where we talk about what God is like, what God does and what God does not do. And one of the things that we suffer from with modern evangelicalism, with Christians today, is a misunderstanding of what God is like. One of the things that we suffer from with modern evangelical preachers today is a misrepresentation of what God is like. Do we have a biblical view of who and what God is? That's the question today. Do we have a biblical view of who God is, what God is, do, or do we believe and follow the God that's made in the image of man? The God of today, in a lot of ways, is made in the image of man. Again, when we see popular polls that's taken each year where pastors and Christians are interviewed, the results always interest me. But one of the things that remain constant is we don't have a biblical worldview when it comes to who God is, more specifically, what God will and will not do. All you gotta do, pick a topic, almost any topic, and you will hear many a response, and responses like this. i I believe God would do that. I believe that's what God is like. The God that I serve, he's a God that will do those things. The other thing that I hear, I can't believe God would do that, Shane. No, uh uh-uh. No, not the God I serve. The God I serve, he would not do anything like that. (laughs) He won't do anything. I can't believe that God could do such a thing. And then I say again, What Bible are you reading? When the church consultant comes up to me, tells me all the time, Shane, do not say that God will judge. People don't like that and they will not want to come to your church. I get this all the time. Shane, you, you, I heard your sermon. I watched your, your video. You talked about, you know, that, that, that there's a hell, that God's going to send people to hell if they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You, you can't say that. You can't say stuff like that because people don't want to hear that. You, you know, I get this. You know, you don't, don't do that. And you know what? They're not going to come to your church if you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we see that. We know that. But it's not true. It's not true. Because people today want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. That's how it is. That's how it is. We want to hear what our itching ears want to hear. See, this is the importance of the minor prophets. Now, we call them minor prophets, but let me just say this. The minor prophets are major when it comes to giving us a clear picture of the character of God. The minor prophets, they tell us, they show us what God is capable of doing. We see what he did and what he will continue to do. Oh, and this is huge, because this is another response I get. Oh, you know, Shane, you talk about the minor prophets, and we talk about the judgment of God and what God did to the people. No, 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 no. You can't, you can't do that. It's the Old Testament, man. And, and, and I get this a lot, right? You can't pass it off as, oh, Shane, man, it's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us today. No, 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 no. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and Forever. He's the same. He is not man that he should change. Oh, but Shane, you got to understand that the, 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 the God of the Old Testament, he, he's the, that's the mean God. You know, the New Testament is the nice God. And I'm just like, again, what Bible are you reading? You make that comment to the people in Bethsaida. And Chorazin. Why do I say that? Because you remember when Jesus passed judgment upon them. He said, "Woe to you, Bethsaida! Woe to you, Chorazin! It's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you." Oh, come on! Oh, the God of the Old Testament is is nice, or or is mean, and the God of the New Testament is nice. We got to stop this. It's just an excuse. Reality is, is that God, consistent throughout all the scripture, God will do what it takes to get our attention. He will communicate through circumstances. Do you know why he's going to do this? Because not only is he a God of justice, he's also a God of love. And family, parents, won't we do whatever we need to do to get our kids' attention? If we need to get our kids' attention, will we not do what it is that we need to do? When it comes to rescuing our children, when it comes to saving our children, will we not do anything that we need to do? I remember one time, and I think about this, and every time I think about doing anything for our kids, I think about one time I'm in summer school and, and I'm walking to class. See, my mom, she thought, okay, I got to, you know, she slept all night, you know, worked all night, can't, she got in got in the car, she was just like, you know what, I'm just going to drop them off in Sunday school. So my mom just jumped in the car with her nightgown on and drove me to summer school. And I'm walking in the summer school, walking to class, and guess what happens? I get hit by a car. Boom. I'm on the ground, you know, seeing stars, all this stuff. But I will never forget this. I turn my head to this side, to this side, and I see my mom out of the car, running in her nightgown. <laughs> there's nothing your parents won't do. Seriously, we, won't, we Parents, we will. There's, there's nothing we won't do for our children. This is what I'm really trying to say. And sometimes our children have to go through difficult things in order for them to grow, right? Some things are, it's not gonna feel good for them. But we gotta let it happen so that they'll grow, so that they'll mature. We can't rescue them from everything, we've gotta let them experience the pain sometimes. You know, I mean, so so like my son, I tell you this story, it's kind of funny. My son does jujitsu, right? And so when when I'm, a, as a dad, and I'm watching my son do jujitsu, even, even my daughters, when they do jujitsu, I don't like watching them get choked. I don't really enjoy watching them get armbarred. I'm not enjoying all of that stuff. It's not, it's not, it's not that great. But I let it happen. Why? Because they have to go through that in order for them to learn. And by going through that, they'll get stronger. They'll get wiser. They'll get more knowledgeable. And even sometimes, I have to do it. What do you mean by I have to do it? Scott is very, very protected at the jiu-jitsu mat. Not anymore. Now, he's 18 now, so he does not. When he was younger, he was very protective, And the coaches was always protecting Scott. So if Scott's rolling with somebody that's out of control, they'll protect Scott. Hey, you know, all this stuff. You know, they won't let people do mean things to Scott. But one day... I have Scott in this really bizarre pretzel move where his head is, where his foot is touching his head, right? And I'm pinning him down as his dad, and the funniest thing happened. The coach on the other side, him and the assistant go, look look at Scott, who's doing that to Scott? And he got up, they got up from the ground and they started walking over, and then I popped my head out. And they go, oh, dad, Sometimes we have to do things, even ourselves, to our children, in order for them to learn, in order for them to grow and family, in order to get our attention. You guys have to do that with your kids sometimes? You know, it's not uncommon every once in a while, especially when it's on the weekends and the kids don't have to do school and they'll sit there for, you know, to, for 35 hours playing video games. <laughs> And then you have to say their name more than once? Right? Sean. Sean. Sean! Is that bringing back memories? He will do what it takes to get our attention. He will communicate through circumstances. If our priorities are out of whack, God is wanting to get our attention. And just like it was then, it's the same for us today. God will get our attentions through frustrations in life, through difficulty, through suffering, through pain. Get your priorities straight, says the Lord. Haggai chapter one, verses five to 11. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put clothes or put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine, luxurious houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all other crops, or your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Whoa, come on, let's shake, shake ourselves. Here we go, did I just hear what I just heard? Family, this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. Father, I pray that you continue to move upon our hearts, transform us into the likeness of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Just really quick. Hey, Barbara, you got lots of cards back there, just FYI, before you leave. You know, there might be gift certificates in there. (laughs) Those Target cards, they're they're, they're amazing. Um, So, family, the first thing we're going to look at today is the reality of the hand of God frustrating our lives to help us get our priorities in order. I mean, just think you heard what I just read. You know? just how popular I think I would be if I read that passage of Scripture in one of our megachurches today. Second, we're going to see that the priorities of God brought us to life and life more abundant, because salvation. Is here. So our thesis statement today is this. Again, my thesis is me trying to summarize my entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to keep finding ways to justify our misplaced priorities, it is the truth of the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see that to live is Christ. And all living, all moving, and having our being is in Christ, and it's in Christ alone. Ooh, this is going to be shocking at the end. You watch watch. But I am, I am setting you up. I'm setting you up here, okay? Number 1, judgment. God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to communicate through circumstance. When our priorities are not in its proper place, when they are misplaced, when our priorities are out of whack, God is trying to get our attention. So remember the pictures that we got from last week putting our lives and our lifestyles ahead of the work and the things of the Lord. I love the way Matthew Henry describes this. This is genius. Watch this. He says this, They neglected the building of God's house and put that off, that they might have time and money for their secular affairs. They desired to be excused from such an expensive piece of work under this pretense that I got to provide for my family. My children must have meat and portions too. And until they have got beforehand in the world, they cannot even think about rebuilding the temple. Remember that. That's, that's what we saw last week. It, it's, it, we gotta get our lives in order. I gotta get things in order. So yes, I can't do the work, God, that you want me to do because I don't have the time, nor do I have the resources to do that because I gotta take care of stuff. I gotta take care of my kids. I gotta pay my bills. I got electric bills coming up. You want me to pay my electric bill, don't you, God? Got that water bill, you know, and that Excel bill is getting bigger all the time. I got stuff I got to take care of. I got stuff I got to pay for. I can't even think about rebuilding the temple. They got to get it all together in life before they will expend time and resources for the Lord and for his kingdom. But the misplaced priorities are bringing the discipline of the Lord. And what we see when it comes to the discipline of the Lord is that it comes down upon his people and it is so full of irony. Irony. And that's one of the things about our Lord, and you get this a lot when it comes to the minor prophets, the irony of God. The irony. It's so full of irony. The judgment of God sometimes brings much irony. When God judges the people, irony. You see the, the, the plan that happens, irony. It just comes. to. And I think that the irony, is, it's a use, we see in literature all the time, the use to help us seal what the irony is trying to point, the subject. It's trying to seal it to get it really abundantly clear with us and it also uh, uh, seals the seriousness of the issue, the irony, seals the seriousness of the issue and the remembrance of the issue. God uses irony to help us so that we don't fall into the trap of, of history, Right where the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. He's trying to help us, trying to help us to remember. Remember the sin, remember the atrocity. There's one one judgment that God brought down upon Israel that was so full of irony. It was just, it's amazing. It's not full, a lot of details, but you you kind of plug it in because uh, of what's happening here, the idea of it. But take, for instance, the story of Hadad. Okay, this is during the time where David's, David's rule was starting to end or, or, or that Solomon's rule was starting to end, right? And so according to the account in 1 Kings, Hadad was the survivor of the royal house of Edom. So uh, uh, Solomon, Joab, you know, all, uh, King, uh, I'm sorry, King David sent Joab to go over there to go slaughter the Edomites, to go destroy them. After the slaughter at the hands of Joab, he was a survivor. He escaped the slaughtering of the children. And you know where he went? He escaped to Egypt. And there, when he was in Egypt, he came under the favor of the Pharaoh. And he actually, Hadad actually even, uh, uh, raised by the Pharaoh, married the queen's sister. And so he went to Egypt, (laughs) married the the queen's sister, and comes back to Israel to judge. Does that story sound familiar? Yeah. Judgment came down on Israel by a guy who fled to go to Egypt to be raised, to start a family, and came back and judged. So the Israelites were always talking about how look at what Moses did to Egypt. Look at the judgment that we had. Look at this awesome, amazing story of deliverance. And God used that exact story, the exact same scenario to bring judgment upon Israel. The irony, family. The irony as we see this happens all the time. So the irony here that we see, super important that we get this, the poverty... That they, were, that they had were actually trying to avoid, the poverty that they were actually trying to avoid by not building the temple of the Lord is the poverty that they were actually getting from the Lord. We neglected the building of the temple so that we could keep ourselves from falling into poverty. But by not building the temple, they found themselves in poverty. And it was God who did it. God was the one that brought this down. This is really important to get what's being communicated here. So Shane, are you saying that God would actually keep us from prospering? Wow. How do prosperity gospel teachers get around this one? I mean, my my question has always been when it comes to prosperity gospel proponents is how do you guys get around the minor prophets? Oh, that's right. When you get a prosperity gospel teacher's Bible, the minor prophets are the places where the pages are still stuck together. So God would actually keep us from prospering? Why would he do such a thing? See, not a common message coming from evangelical pulpits in America. Because God is supposed to be helping me succeed. Why would he keep me from getting all that I have and all that I have been working for? Are you serious? That's just mean. God's immoral. That's really messed up. I don't want to serve a God like that. That's not my God. So we see here in this passage of Scripture, they planted much. They planted so much with all that they sold, all that they invested, all that they worked so hard for with the resources that should have been used for God, they were hoping for a great harvest. They sold much, so they wanted to reap much, hopefully get a lot left over too. But verse nine, when you look here, you hope for riches, but they were poor. And what you brought home, I blew away. I did that. Oh man, I did that. Verse 10, I made sure the heavens would not produce dew so that you could produce your crops. Verse 11, I am the one to cause the drought, to starve you and your livestock. It is like the judgment that was pronounced in Isaiah, in Isaiah 5, verse 10, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 10. 10 acres of vineyard will not produce even six gallons of wine. 10 baskets of seed will only yield one basket of grain. All the resources that they were using belonged to God. And they were trying to use it to make them a better life, give them a better lifestyle. They were not, give, and were not giving them what they had hoped. See, let's get us to a place where we're comfortable. And when we work for God... You know, then we'll work for God. But the resources intended for God was being used for lifestyle and God himself was stopping the comfort. He wasn't gonna let that happen, no way. Essentially what God is saying is, yeah, you're using my resources to try to do all of this stuff, but I'm gonna just tell you right now, all the work, everything that you did, all that you invested, everything that you put in, you can't get no satisfaction. None. You eat, but you are not satisfied. Or more literally, you don't have enough. You don't have enough food. You got food, but you don't have enough food. You know, and this is, this is super shameful, you know, for the Asian, and, and I'm going to add this, and the Texan cultures. You do not run out of food, man. You run out of food. That's shameful. Absolutely shameful. You must always have enough. So, God is saying here, you can't get no satisfaction. You drink, but you do not have your fill. You are thirsty. The grapevines are all ruined. No wine, no water. You're in drought. You thirst, and you, and you continue to thirst. You can't get no satisfaction. When it comes to thirst, you will have no comfort at all. It was my hand that caused all of this. You have worked so hard to acquire clothing to keep yourself warm, but you will be cold. You will be in misery. They will wear out. You will buy quality clothes, clothes that's supposed to last forever. You bought Lululemons. They're supposed to last forever. You guys know what Lululemon is? Okay, well, it's like this fashion thing. It's like, you know, the exercise clothes that women wear. It's like this big thing. Everybody wants to have Lululemons. You got to have Lululemons because they say it lasts forever. Personally, I've said it. I even put it on my Facebook. I think Lululemon is popular because people like to say Lululemon. I love saying it, man. I, I relish the opportunity. Hey, is there something from Lululemon that you'd like for me to go pick up for you? It's supposed to last forever. We, they bought quality clothes, and it didn't last forever. <laughs> they were lasting as long as the inexpensive, the ones without quality. And when it's cold, you're going to put these clothes on, and you will not get warm you are not going to get any satisfaction. And here's the biggie. And moreover, your wages are going to disappear as if you were putting them in a bag that had holes in it. Just like flour going through a sieve, so your money is now disappearing. One commentator writes this, God was speaking to them through such circumstances as rising prices and inflation. God's trying to get their attention with rising prices and inflation. God's trying to get our attention with rising prices and inflation. One of my old pastor friends used to say, it's like there's too much month at the end of the money. I used to love that saying. There's too much month at the end of the money. You work so hard for everything you get and when, you, and when you get all that you had worked so hard to get, it just disappears. Just, man, I just got all this stuff. I just got all this money It's just coming in. And it's just, you know, all this stuff is just really great. But then all of a sudden, there's rising taxes. Our investments crash. Our crypto coin loses its value. Gas prices start to go up. But I just got a huge raise. Medical premiums go up, utilities go up, new tires keep climbing in price. I remember when you could, you know, when each tire to replace, you could get brand new tires on your car and it was only like 50 bucks per tire. Plumbers charge $800 an hour now. It's just so expensive to live. No matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, no matter how much we save, we can never get ahead. Now I got well, to pay for warranties. This is what drives me nuts. We got to pay for warranties to back up warranties. You guys get that? There's a one year manufacturer warranty on it. You go and you go up to the stuff and what do they try to sell you? For $135, we can give you another warranty on top of that. All right, you know, it's, it's, it just continues to build. We pay for warranties now to back up warranties. We buy water. Could you imagine telling your great-great-grandmother that you buy water today? My, my great-great-grandmother would punch me in the face if she found out I was paying for water. We buy Water. Pretty soon, we're going to have to buy air. Oh, you know what? We already do. We already do. When we moved here from Hawaii, I was having a hard time breathing. I went to Dick's Sporting Goods to go get that oxygen tank to breathe. We buy air now. (laughs) Many will say that when they get a raise... It doesn't take long, and they need another one. Like money in money bags that have holes in them. Family, how is this possible? How in the world does the living God, the God of love, grace, and mercy, allow this to happen to his people? Here's the big punch of the day, verse 11. And to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. You worked so hard for everything that you got. You worked so hard to get more. You were not lazy. No, you're not slothful. You were not in slumber. No, you did work hard. You used all the energy and resources that belonged to me. And so I have ruined everything that you've worked for. Your priority is out of whack. Your priorities are messed up. Your priorities are misplaced. So you know what? (laughs) And it pains me to say this, but in essence, this is what he's saying. Because you've done this, I ruined your life. I ruined your life. All the stuff in your life is all messed up, and you know what? (laughs) I did it. Your priorities are so messed up that I had to ruin your life. See, this is the sobering reality of what God is like. Remember, this is the same God that would bring the Babylonians into Judah and the people would suffer not just the defeat of the Babylon, by the Babylonians, but they would suffer the worst kinds of humiliation. By the Babylonians. Also, this is the same God that will allow the Israelites to suffer defeat and have his ark taken and presented to a false God as spoils of war. Yeah, he will do all this so that the people's priorities would be straightened out. It has been and always will be required for the people of God to have their priorities in order. Back then and even today, we are supposed to have our priorities in order. There is only one thing, one thing in this world, one thing in this universe that should occupy the number one place in our lives. Only one thing. Can anybody take a guess what that one thing might be? We have to have priorities in life. God is getting our attention. What good is it? What good is it? I mean, you hear me say it, right? What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? No, this is our culture today. Let me send another message. I'm going to alter it just a little bit. And I'm not altering scripture. I'm not saying this is scripture. I'm just saying this is me altering scripture just a little bit. What good is it to try to gain the whole world? Because come on. There's many of us, we try to gain the whole world, but most of the time, we don't. So what good is it to try to gain the whole world, don't get it, and then on top of that, lose your own soul? At least people who have actually gained the whole world, yeah, they at least gained the world. What about us who try to gain the whole world and gain nothing? And then on top of that, because we were pursuing the world, we lose our own soul. What good is it? Are we still willing to trade our inheritance with Christ for a bowl of stew? we still willing to do that? Our priorities out of whack? Luke chapter 12, verse 34, wherever your treasure is, there are the desires of your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 38, Matthew 22, verses 37 to 38, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Colossians chapter three, verse two. Colossians chapter three, verse two. Notice, this isn't Old Testament scriptures. Colossians three, two. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Matthew chapter six, verse 24. Matthew chapter six, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You will, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't do it. People try to do it all the time. You can't do it. James chapter four, four, verses one to three. James chapter four, verses one to three. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask. You don't ask God for it. A lot of times you hear preachers, they stop there. You notice that? You do not have because you do not ask especially when it comes to you know, sermons and teaching series that talk about prayer. You don't have because you don't ask. And that's huge, yeah. You don't have because you don't ask. Yeah, you don't ask God for it. And we stop there. No, 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 we gotta keep going. And even when you ask, you don't get because your motives are all wrong. You only want, or you only want, or, or you want only what will give you pleasure. So you don't have because you don't ask but then when you do ask, you still don't get because you're asking with wrong motives. You only want what gives you pleasure. You only want what's not good for you. Point number two, salvation. And so today, here it is, going off of the motive part. Because a lot of us will say, I'll say this, well, yeah, you don't have because you didn't ask. No, no, Shane, I asked. I asked a lot. I was knocking on that door. Okay, fine, you did ask. But you ask and you don't receive. Do you know why? Because you're asking with wrong motives. I went home and I got my motives in order and I asked again and I still don't have. Maybe because your motives are not in order. No, 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 no. My priorities are definitely in order, Shane. And I asked, did you receive? No. Then maybe your priorities are not in order. Woo, get this. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You guys ready for this? We suffer from a misunderstanding of the words and the works of God, especially when it comes to judgment. And these are two issues we have. Number one, we suffer from a misunderstanding of God's character. Number two, We suffer from this thing called self deception. We think we're okay when we're not. Especially, especially when it comes to our priorities. Many of us think God is unfair for withholding blessings because we think our priorities are in order. We think we're doing good when we're not. We think we're offering righteousness, but God is saying, you're giving me filthy rags. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it ends in death. Good job, Linda. Somebody give her money. (laughs) We think it's right, but it ends in death. See, this is the thing when it comes to the deception thing. We think our priorities are in order. So we got our priorities in order, man. I got got my life straightened out. I made God number one in my life. God is number one in my life. I pray every day. I listen to Pastor Shane when he says we should, do, we should read the Proverbs every single day. We've been reading the Proverbs every single day. I do my devotions every day. I come to church on Sundays, but not just church service. I even go to Sunday school. I give 9.8% my tithes and offerings. Come on, 9.8, that's pretty good. I've been up in all this stuff. I've been up in my giving. I've been giving to missions. I put money in the music outreach, man. I made God priority number one in my life. And Shane, I asked God, and he still didn't give. He's a liar. Whoa, I get this all the time. And you know what I say all the time? Maybe God is not priority one in your life. Did you ever think that there is a possibility that you could be wrong? When we decide we believe, when we decide we, we did it, when we decide that I ordered my priorities, could it be that we were wrong? Have we deceived ourselves into thinking that it's all in order? We say that God is on the throne of our hearts. We walk into church, we say, God, you are on the throne of my heart. And then we get out and we sit on the throne ourselves. We say that we are working for the Lord, but we're just doing what we need to get blessed. Shane, I want to go to heaven. You tell me what I need to do to get into heaven. I want to make sure that I do everything that I got to do here so I can make sure that I get into heaven. No, you're not trying to get into heaven. You're trying to invest in a retirement policy. No way. No way. I remember, one guy was saying, "I just, I just want to go to heaven. You know, I want to have, I want to have, um, the, you know, this, this, and all these things that go into heaven. But man, I, I can't stand church." <laughs> I'm, I go to church on Sunday and you guys sing all these songs and it's just like, oh, it's the same song we sang last week. Why are we singing the same songs all the time? And just praise and glorify. And then the preacher gets up and you know, he says, oh, he got a short sermon. And two hours later, he's still on point number one. <laughs> I want to go to heaven so bad. You don't understand. I want, it. I want mansions, streets of gold, all this stuff. I want heaven so bad, but I hate church. And just, you know, the whole praise and worshiping God and all that kind of stuff, I just can't handle it. And I told him flat out if you can't stand church, you can't stand God's word, you can't stand praising and worshiping God, then heaven is going to be hell for you. Right? Because what's heaven gonna be? A church service. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all eternity. Wow. Wow. Priorities, family. Could it be possible? Is it possible? Can it be that when all these things that should be added to me is not added because I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God? Oh, no, no, I'm totally totally seeking first the kingdom of God. And this is what my challenge to the people that I counsel and my challenge to you, Central Baptist Church, today. If all these things have not been added onto you, you are not seeking first the kingdom of God. Yay, thank you, Frank. It was real quiet after I said that. You guys were all, hmm. We think a failure on God's part. It's a failure on God's part to fulfill his promise. That we are deceived in thinking that we got it all together. We don't get when we ask because our motives are wrong. Then we think our motives are right and we ask again and we don't get because we think that our motives are good, but they're not. We got to get this today, family. We deceive ourselves. We do not consider others as better than ourselves. You know why? Because we don't believe that others are better than us. That's why. (laughs) We, don't stri- we do strive to gain the whole world because we don't believe that we're going to lose our soul. Because we don't believe that God's a God of judgment. So do whatever it is you want. God loves you. You're going to go to heaven no matter what. God's not that kind of God. He won't send people to hell. God is love. You can't be content. The world will not let you be content in any and every situation. Do you know Why? Because if every single day, every single person in America woke up completely content with everything they had, capitalism would collapse. And God does not want that. (laughs) But he is also the God of justice. And there is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both. You might try, but you are deceiving yourself if you think you can. We obsess over money and the things of this world and say that we're not ruled by them. We say that God is first in our life, family. It's self-deception. It's the emperor's new clothes. That's what it is. Because here it is. Alright, we're going to close with this. In reality, if you really are seeking first the kingdom of God. Here it is. If you really are on this side. All everybody on this side. If you really are seeking first the kingdom of God. Okay, everybody in here. The middle. If you really are seeking first the kingdom of God. On this side. If you really are seeking the kingdom of God, seeking first the kingdom of God. If you really are seeking first the kingdom of God. If that's really true, if it's really true, then you know what? You will not be concerned about these, all these things being added. Hello. Amen. Seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added onto you. No, if you really were seeking the kingdom of God, You could care less whether these things were added. A change, a transformation that takes place when you got your eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. When you got your eyes on Jesus, all the things in this world will grow strangely dim. Nothing is going to matter. When you've got your eyes upon Christ, we won't be concerned with the things of the world anymore. We're not going to be concerned with civilian affairs. All we will care about is pleasing our commanding officer. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. We're not going to get involved in civilian affairs. We're not going to get tangled up with the things of this world. All we care about is pleasing our commanding officer. Family, this is life and life more abundant that we find in Christ. Life and life more abundant. And what's, what's amazing, and, 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 me, me and me and Don and Steve, we've been praying, Don, remember, we've been praying for revival, haven't we? We have been praying for revival here at Central Baptist Church for a really, really long time. I'm believing that God's gonna do that. I still am. And we are gonna talk about revival here in, in, a, in, in Haggai. We're going to see it because it says in Haggai something absolutely amazing that he sparked the enthusiasm Zerubbabel and the people. Sparked the enthusiasm. You guys ever been into a place where you would say that God supernaturally sparked your enthusiasm? You ever had that? It's, it, 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 it's just, it's, it's an amazing feeling you know, we would use words like, "Man, I was I'm sold out for Jesus. I'm I'm on fire for Jesus." Right, Steve? You know, where I we used to use that all the time. Sold out for Jesus. On fire for God, man. There's just nothing. And you know, the one thing that was just absolutely amazing that I noticed, you know, when those times will happen where God expar- when He sparks your enthusiasm, you just absolutely all you are is just God empowers you and just gets rid of all the distractions and all these. Things. And all, you know, it, we'll talk about this as to why it doesn't. It's, it's not that way all the time. You know, it's like you wish it was like that all the time, but there's a reason why it's not like this all the time. But all the distractions, everything, moving forward, all this, seeing this. The one thing that I think that I always thought was absolutely amazing. The things of the world really do go strangely dim. It really, it's it's amazing. It's just like you know. It's just, now it's just like, you know, the, 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 we can't get the vote for the speaker of the house and we're sitting back here going, what in the world is going on with everybody? This world is just gone. This, everything is just wrong. All this stuff, and it's just not that you don't care, but when this thing is happening, it's just like, you know what? That's in God's hands. You know, we pray for him. God, I pray that you help the world, help our government, help all this kind of stuff. But I'm, I, I, my eyes are back it's, it's absolutely amazing. The things of the world actually do go strangely dim. And nothing will faze you. None of this stuff happens. This is what I pray that's going to happen for the church in modern evangelicalism today. That we will get our priorities truly in line. And I'm believing that God is going to help us do that. For many of us, God is going to do it for us. Because I just can't. And he's going to spark the enthusiasm of his people. This is how God is. But Shane, come on. Seriously. That's Old Testament stuff, man. God's not going to spark the enthusiasm of his people today. What did I say about the Old Testament stuff? <laughs> God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for them, I know he will do it for us. Life, life more abundant. The salvation that Jesus brings. This is the gospel of Jesus, family. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Finally, did you know the Bible also says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, our priorities. Yeah, we, many of us are guilty of not having put God first. But you know there's forgiveness for you today and strength for the, for the new time, for the new day. And the fullness. And I love this. When we have our eyes fixed upon Christ, when we are doing the work that, that, he, that he has called us to do, you know what's you know, really interesting? Here, the last thing. You got, you, you, when, when, you're, when your priorities are right and you are actively working, doing what it is that God has called us to do, when I read the Psalms, it applies to me, man. Think about this. When you're doing what it is that you're supposed to do, I'll, I'll you know, every once in a while, I'll do like a Psalm check where I'll check. When David is talking about stuff and it's resonating with you. When you can say, listen to the Psalms, and you'll be like, man, that's my life right now. That's me reading the Psalms. That's me reading Proverbs. This me. me, that's me, that's me. When we resonate with that, then we're walking on the straight and narrow. We're moving and having our being within Christ. It's when we're reading the Psalms and we're just kind of like, I ain't got no enemies in my life. Nobody's persecuting me for standing up as a Christian. I'm not not exhausted and tired doing the work of God. When all this stuff doesn't apply, it's telling you that there's something wrong. And I mean that, I wanted to say that because people have a problem with Luke chapter 12, verse 33 when they hear it. When people hear Luke chapter 12, verse 33, we have an initial knee-jerk reaction and we have a problem. But when we have our eyes fixed on Christ and our priorities are straight, Luke twenty twelve to thirty three is something absolutely amazing. It's not a problem. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Ooh. Whoa! Did Jesus just say that? What does he want? He want my firstborn too. He want blood. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Because why should it matter, family? Our only purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? Right? Because family, if all we have is Christ, if the only thing we have in the world is Christ, then all you have is everything. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.